صلى عليك الله يا حمد نور المنازل يا محمد السلام عليكم As I pursue my own spiritual journey, I want to hear from those who have taken this path before me. This podcast focuses on them and listening to their stories uninterrupted. My name is Hiba Masood, and I invite you to reflect on the trajectories of their lives and the guidance and blessings provided by Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala along that journey. Imam Ahmad Deeb's grandfather, Sheikh Ramadan Deeb, one of the oldest living scholars in Damascus, is a renowned Syrian scholar who built important bridges between Western and Eastern scholarship. Imam Deeb grew up watching his father, Sheikh Abdullah Deeb, lead a Muslim community in Orlando, Florida. But even though he was born into a family of Muslim scholars, Imam Deeb struggled as a teenager seeking answers to fundamental questions about religion. It wasn't until university when he began attending a local halqa and listening online to Sheikh Hamza Yusuf that Imam Deeb felt his mind and his heart begin to find a connection to Islam. Upon graduation, he turned his focus to seeking knowledge at a higher level. Sheikh Muhammad Ninawi, a family friend, invited him to join a Medina Institute pilot program he was starting in South Africa. Imam Ahmed Deeb spent a year at the Medina Institute in Cape Town. When he returned, he continued studying with local scholars, including his father, and began a master's in Islamic studies at Bayan Institute in Claremont, California. Today, Imam Ahmed Deeb is the Imam at Islamic Center of Greater Toledo, located in one of the oldest Muslim communities in North America. He is the co-founder of Pillar Seminary alongside Sheikh Ismail Bowers, which focuses on teaching the foundational Islamic sciences to busy professionals, as well as the co-founder of Ifqan Institute, dedicated to developing love of God through a relationship and mastery of reciting Quran with his father as the primary teacher and leader. In this episode, he talks about Muslims who are seeking answers to fundamental questions about their religion. He advises them to seek out reliable teachers of Islamic knowledge and spend time reflecting on any potential barriers they may have to a relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bismillah I grew up in Orlando, Florida. And I grew up to two amazing um, Syrian immigrant parents, uh, both of whom were, alhamdulillah, practicing uh, and committed to the faith in that way, and both very learned. Um, my father is a, a scholar and a specialist in um, Tajweed and in Quranic recitation, um, as well as um, Shafi Fiqh, it's a school of law. Uh, my mother was a school teacher, Islamic studies school teacher um, for um, elementary kids. And they, she also, you know, graduated with a Sharia degree like my father. And um, my grandfather is a scholar and his father's scholar. So that was kind of my lineage. And um it, you know, it was it was infused in my upbringing, of course, you know, that that uh, consciousness of like, you know, this is this is where you come from. This is who you are. Um, you come from a 
uh, noble lineage, you know, nobility here being defined as people who are learned in their faith and they're, they're part of the scholarly class and they're, they're sages. My, my grandfather is like a spiritual sage in, in Syria and students all over the world. He's 103 now. So like that was always constantly, uh, uh, we were always reminded of that, you know, look at your grandfather. He's like, you know, 93 and he's getting his second PhD. And I'm like, all right, all right, I get it. You know, I got these high standards to live up to. Um, I think he's getting his third PhD now at 103, subhanAllah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my background. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I uh, grew up in that environment um, in the house. Uh, Orlando was a very is a very multicultural city, um, and the lines between suburb and inner city are very blurred, right? So for the first part of my uh, life, we were living in a really cool, like tiny, tiny house on Masjid property because my father was the imam of the Masjid, and um, it was obviously not sustainable. And, you know, my father worked really, really hard uh, at times working other jobs, subhanAllah. And I say that purposely because, <laughs> you know, it, it highlights the environment of that, of that era, which was imams uh, not being really supported uh, financially to be able to support their families. And um, my father worked really hard, subhanAllah. And, uh, you know, we moved into a... Um, suburb in East um, Orlando. But again, because those lines are so blurred, I ended up going to um, a, uh, a school um, that would, I guess, typically be associated with uh, lower income schoolings. I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible in my, in my languaging. Um, and I mentioned that because, again, it, it's crucial to my story. So it's very important to my story in that I, I, you know, th those were my people. <laughs> I was like them. They were like me. We resonated. You know, I, I, I knew what it was like to grow up, um, to struggle, you know, in, in many aspects. And most of my friends were, were either like Hispanic or black American, you know, like that, that was my reality. Um, and because those were the schools that I ended up going to and, uh, all that's important because it certainly informed, you know, how I navigated my identity in America. And it teased out uh, how much of an identity crisis uh, I had, you know, am I, what, what am I like really? Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of a brief uh, story. Well, thank you for sharing. There's so much to unpack there and I, I can't wait to continue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, can you talk a little bit more about your your family history? Um, this lineage, you know, you grew up with a family of scholars, educators. Did you know growing up that you wanted to be an imam? Yeah, I knew for a fact I wasn't going to be an imam. That that is what I knew. Um, I wanted nothing to do with this type of work. It, being an imam was the last thing on my mind. Uh, I wasn't very satisfied with our communities, and I. It was less of, I'll be honest, like, you know, I definitely saw the, the really ugly 
side of our communities because my father was an imam. But if I'm honest to my story, um, it was less about those abuses and those dysfunctionalities, even though they played a huge role, and more about just a general struggle with faith itself. And they, they go hand in hand because, again, I'm, I'm in schooling environments where I'm seeing like I'm seeing people struggle all around me. You know, like I, my friend is like living in a motel with his with his four brothers, you know, and and his two parents. And I'm seeing another. So I'm, there's that component. And then there's the dysfunctionalities of our of our communities. And subhanAllah, like I was sheltered from the administrative dysfunctionalities of our community more than probably most people in America, because I happen to have grown up in what I believe the most successful mosque organization in America, the Islamic Society of Central Florida. It's the most organized, uh, uh, cohesive mosque structure that exists. It's like 12 mosques under one umbrella, one administrative uh, 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 leadership. Um, so from that angle, I, I didn't really have much complaints, but again, it was the general complaints of like, community members, you know, how we are navigating, how we're existing alongside each other and the messaging, religious messaging from communities that again, just didn't resonate with me. So, you know, all of that tied into my general uh, uh, struggle with faith itself and um, not really, I, I just not finding it appealing, religion appealing. And again, I think it's because a lot of, a lot of it is um, a, a lot of people begin to doubt God and religion, I believe, in my experience, personally, and in my work, uh, it usually starts with trying to reconcile suffering. Even though suffering, it, it technically has nothing to do with God's existence, right? Uh, they're, they're actually two completely separate, like, logical conversations like you, you know what the suffering you experience has nothing to do with whether god exists um but i believe when you're exposed to a lot of pain you experience a lot of pain confusion crisis you are going to question everything and in questioning everything you're going to question the things that um you are told are meant to bring you comfort the things that you are told are meant to bring you solace and so uh, it's worse when you say, okay, I'm going to try that. And it doesn't quote unquote work for some people, because maybe this messaging is just not relevant to my reality or for others. It's just like, I'm praying, but I'm not feeling it. So this must not be the truth, right? They're, they're different, different people go through different things. And, you know, we, we can't say, oh, that they're, they're nonsensical. These are legitimate experiences. And I, I'm one of those people that have these legitimate experiences you know, I, I, I was trying to reconcile pain and suffering. And um, at the same time, I, I entered college really young. So there was an identity crisis, struggle, just general life struggle, you know, that alhamdulillah, because my father and mother are so amazing, both working full time, they, they you know, like I, I didn't feel like I had less than uh, uh, for at least most of my life. But there was just the general struggle of all of that. And then coupled with the fact that, you know, I, I wasn't seeing a religious messaging that resonated with my confusion. 
And then I go into college really, really early. So it's basically a recipe for disaster, <laughs> uh, or at least I wouldn't call it disaster. It was, it was a beautiful, you know, fate and, and, and it was a beautiful decree by Allah, but you know, it, it did make the challenges hard. And when you're 15, you know, studying philosophy and cognitive psychology, which basically says everything are neurochemical, you know, synapses firing, and none of this has any true reality. Uh, empiricism is the primary modality that can represent truth or anything real. These these things are gonna mess you up, no matter how cool your dad is. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, Subhanallah, I I th- that was that was what my my experiences become and or became and you know in that process of struggle i was just latching on i had to just make a decision i was like you know you can be an atheist and keep in mind at that time new atheism was just becoming like the coolest phenomenon right the idea of someone like richard dawkins and sam harris and christopher hutchins or hutchins whatever however you you pronounce his name um you know he these were becoming the the idols right the new idols and 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 they were you know uh, um inspiring and a masses of people right because america is a deeply religious country so europe already went through that and now it's starting to really take root in this country um and so i that that had a huge impact on me and i had to kind of um be genuine with myself. And this is why I say these experiences have to be validated and acknowledged by our leadership. Because when you don't acknowledge experiences, you can't have an open, honest conversation with yourself. You end up suppressing or uh, bypassing. That's not what we want to do. So I, alhamdulillah, like my father and mother gave me a strong enough foundation to be able to appreciate the faith even if I felt maybe it wasn't for me. And so I came to a critical juncture. I remember like at 17 in college and or 16. And I said, like, you have two choices. You can, you you can't live a lie. You know, you have to be real. You either leave your faith and commit to this philosophy. Are you ready? to commit to a philosophy that says God may or may not exist. I was very apathetic. It was more, it was, I wasn't apathetic in that I was deeply searching for truth, but um, I found atheism very silly. Agnosticism was very appealing. You know, it's like, look, I don't want to wholesale reject, but maybe, right? Because I clearly don't feel like I know with any certainty. Um, Or, you know, you commit to learning your faith. And maybe you need to, in learning more about your faith, you can have a more informed decision. And, you know, clearly that's what I ended up, when I ended up going with the latter. And um, subhanAllah, how Allah, like, you know, I, I really believe, you know, sincerity is not something anyone can really claim, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns us from doing that in the Quran. He, he tells us, you know, um, do not, claim uh, teskia upon yourselves um, or anyone. Do not claim any sort of um, purification or, or the, you know, any, any sort of high ideals 
in yourself because you don't know really all the time what's going on in there. And there's always work to be done. But that being said, I do believe I was sincere um, in that search. And I do believe uh, I was rewarded for that sincerity because in that same time of crisis, you know, I just by chance would stumble upon a teacher and he got me and a few brothers and stumbled upon a group of brothers that were also like going through some of the same things. And like, we had a small little community and I, you know, we grew, grew out some of us, at least like we, 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 we went different ways and approaches to religion. And I certainly grew out of, you know, I, I, at the time, you know, I was just like, I appreciated the love I was getting um, from, you know, teachers that we had, but it, it was still not answering my questions. And, you know, subhanAllah, I, I was like, no, keep searching. And in that same time, I got introduced to people like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and, you know, um, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad, Dr. Timothy Winter and Dr. Sherman Jackson, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Jackson. And, um, you know, these were these were like lights of my world now. These were the these were, you know, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, I remember a, a crazy like seminal moment i was studying for like a physiological psychology exam but i wasn't studying at all i was um just watching sheikh hamza yusuf lectures it was just like just now coming on youtube you know youtube was just like becoming a thing it wasn't really famous it was just like i'm stumbling upon these online lectures and um i i was like so floored by something he said that i just like I just started weeping like a little child. And I remember I was like, I took a little, little note card that I was using for my exam. And I, and I put the date and I just put like guided. <laughs> and I just like thumbtacked that on my wall in my room just to be like, yo, you felt it. You know, like, don't, don't go back now. Like, you know, there's reality to this. This is real. Okay. And it was less about it wasn't like a spiritual experience because I've had that in the past, you know, in the sense that like, even in my deeply agnostic, mentally agnostic phase, I was connected to the Quran because my father, you know, I was like actually memorizing the Quran while I was a borderline agnostic, still making salah. Right. And I was also connecting to the Quran. You know, that's the crazy part. Like I, I didn't know why I loved it, but I loved it. Um, but that one was, you know, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, I, I don't even remember what he said. He's just, I think he was talking about suffering and the problem of suffering. It was like a very intellectually uh, uh, stimulating conversation. It was theological, right? Uh, uh, and I say this because a lot of people claim now that, you know, theology has no impact on what people's lived experience. Don't talk about theology in detail or confuse people or don't talk about proofs. Or, you don't need to do any rational. That's That's totally not true in my experience. Like it was a rational um uh, uh it was a rational statement or a statement that he made um that appealed to a an, an intellectual issue I was having that then just gave me such peace of heart and I just started weeping. I was just like, oh, this is starting to make sense, right? Um and you know, I I I I think we need to be very open and authentic about the people who have helped us along the way, the people in our lives. Um, we live in a very weird culture now where it's like, 
people won't mention certain people because it's like, you know, uh, politically incorrect. And clearly I don't care about that. Um, the Yusuf, you know, I, 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 he, he was someone that him and my father and a few, I mean, I owe them literally, I owe them everything. Um, and so that's kind of what started me on this path of learning, which ended up being a path that was more, was, was more than just learning from my own certainty and personal practice. And then wanting to help young people who were experiencing the same, which ended up me being a youth coordinator, which ended up me wanting to study more formally, which ended up me being in, in the community as imam. Beautiful. Um, can, can you talk about sort of this process of stumbling upon teachers and figuring out where to find answers and, and where did you end up studying? How did you choose where to sure. go? With yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was... I was uh, both destroyed and saved by the internet. <laughs> so there's that. Because, you know, like Orlando, um, at least the community I grew up in, the ICF community, it was, like I said, like I, I still consider it to be the greatest mosque organization in the country. Nothing even comes close um, in terms of its administrative um, functionality and best practices, utilizing of best practices and, and all of that. But um, I was very disconnected from the national Muslim community. I knew nothing. I, I didn't even know what ISNA was. Like, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. There's a conference that people go to. So I didn't really have any reference points. Shahamzi Yusuf, I literally stumbled upon by accident. Right? I don't know how, I can't even remember how, but he, he, he wasn't, you know, um, and, and keep in mind that the first kind of exposure to Islamic learning I had were a bunch of people telling me don't listen to people like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. And that's the funny part. It's just like, oh, who's this Hamza Yusuf guy? And then like, I went to him and I realized, oh, well, thank you for letting me know he was the person I was supposed to be with this whole time. Hafilahullah. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I really, it was, it was one local teacher who was actually a physician who, you know, did some um, training. Um, and, and came from a particular methodology that, you know, like I, I, I felt I grew out of, um, but I learned a lot and I always make the offer him, you know, uh, whether I agree or disagree is irrelevant. Like that he showed me love, he showed me kindness and subhanAllah, like a few of us in that circle ended up produced, you know, pursuing higher knowledge. One is, one of them was a friend who, you know, is pretty famous on Instagram. Um, may Allah preserve him, Arthur Richards. Um, uh, and he, you know, he ended up, he, I, I knew him before he was Muslim, just before he was Muslim, he converts to Islam. We kind of ended up in the same kind of cool little circle, <laughs> with, you know, um, and that teacher really, really helped our development, you know, just, and, and subhanAllah, it's a lesson that you asked me about the process. Like we cannot underestimate the power of love and the power of showing love to people and, Many a times the grievances people have um, are not purely intellectual, right? They're not devoid of that because in my case, you can show me as much love as, as you, you want, right? I got issues here with the faith. I got issues mentally with the faith, uh, intellectually with the faith. But for many, it's just like they're coming from trauma. They're coming from horrible experiences, um, they're, they're, they're coming from hypocritical examples. I mean, it's panelized, surveyed youth um, in the community long time ago. 
and I asked them like, what is the greatest, what do you feel is the most um, problematic? Uh, what, what, what is holding you back, right? From coming to the masjid or being involved or, you know, wanting to study your faith or being more practicing. And literally almost all of them said hypocrisy, right? The idea that I'm being told something I'm not seeing at all. Um, so, you know, we should not underestimate, you know, true modeled, uh, uh, true examples of lived faith that we then model. And he was our, our first teacher, may Allah preserve him. He was, he was um, one of those people. He, he, he lived the sunnah. He lived the sunnah and he didn't have to help us. You know, he was a physician. He was, he did all of this in his free time. He volunteered, he took care of us. Um, and, you know, alhamdulillah, it was, he helped, he, he helped preserve my faith. And I, I continued learning and learning and learning. Um, and eventually I came to a point where I realized there's something fundamentally wrong with our Islamic educational system. And that was, we are, I, I, I've watched and memorized almost every lecture by like, literally, uh, and, and, but the, the, what was wrong was that like I'm going from halaqa to halaqa and like, but there's, there's, there's seminars, right? There's certain seminars are very popular, became very popular in Orlando at that time. And I still felt very scattered and I still felt there were like fundamental questions I, I haven't gotten to yet. You know, like even when we studied theology, it was just like, you know, let's study creed 95% of the time. And the really big questions, let's dismiss them. Let's just, Let's just make fun of Socrates, right? And Aristotle as these weird philosophers that don't know anything. And then let's go into God is one. And it's like, you know, as a, as a very inquisitive young mind, that didn't appeal to me at all. And so eventually, I, and Sheikh Hamza was giving me glimpses of it, right? But I came to the point where I realized in my youth work, I don't even know if I'm qualified to be doing this. You know, I, I know how to show love to these young people. I know how to be real. I can, I, can, I can create safe space for them. I can even give them a few bangers when it comes to halakhas. You know, like I could do all that. But, you know, am I really qualified to help guide them? Absolutely not, right? And so I, I started questioning the, the role itself. Like, what, what the heck is a youth director anyway? Like, what am I supposed to be doing as a youth Am I supposed to be teaching? Am I supposed to... I didn't know. Um, and I, and, and subhanAllah at that point I said, you know, I need to go study formally. I need to go study formally. And I ended up in Cape town, South Africa. I did a formal program. And after that formal program, I, I, I learned that there is no, like there, how do I say this? There's, there's no like degree that you get to be a scholar or to be an imam or like, you can, you, can, you can have one and you can get training. But the biggest thing I learned from that program, because it was intense, it was, it was literally Fajr Te'asha. Like we, would, we, were, we were all in and the students around me were serious and I loved it. Um, but I learned through that, that this is a lifelong thing, right? There is no four-year program, one-year program, 10-year program, 20-year program. You're, you, you win this, you're going to be in it forever. And I, I found that to be overwhelming at first, but then also very empowering because I realized like, hey, 
I'm not on anyone's timeline, right? Allah has gifted me with something and he may have gifted others with something else. And, you know, I'm in this for the long run. And that just relieved a lot of pressure. And so what I ended up doing was I was just like, I never stopped studying. You know, I just kept studying and studying and reading and reading and sitting with teachers and uh, many of whom are local, you know, uh, uh, American scholars. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still in that, you know, eight years, 10 years later, I'm, I'm still a student, a very beginner student, in my opinion. And uh, I'm still, you know, I go on yearly excursions overseas to sit with some of my teachers and shiuch and uh, you know, I, I, I think after South Africa, I realized, like, what am I doing? My father is a scholar. Why am I not taking advantage of him? And uh, subhanAllah, I didn't realize how much I learned from my father by osmosis. Like, they were, I remember we were, we were learning, like, qawaid fiqhiyah, which are, like, principles of Islamic law, which is different than usul fiqh, which is legal theory. We, we usually confuse the translations. These are, like, all of Islamic law rests upon certain principles that we use when we're trying to give people an opinion for their life, right? They're guiding principles. And I'm hearing some of them and I'm just like, yo, I remember this stuff, you know, because my father would just invoke it left and right. My father was like a repository, hadith here. We, we talk about hadith. And I'm like, wait, I heard all of this stuff before. I, I, I memorized some of this stuff before. So I think I, I also began to appreciate my father and realize like, Real learning, and I'll just, uh, I'll conclude with, with this story. Uh, one of my teachers, um, Sheikh uh, Jihad Brown, may Allah preserve him. He's, he's, a, he's an amazing um, scholar and theologian. Uh, and one time he was giving a sermon in America and someone asked him, you know, where did you study? And usually, Many times it's sincere, but many times it's also that question is like, I want to try to figure out like which ideology does this person belong to? You know, how cool, you know, how cool is he in my opinion? And, you know, you know, Shay Jihad, I remember just looks at him and he just says, in the homes of, in the homes of scholars, the inheritors of the Prophet And he just walks away. <laughs> so it's just like, it's such a mic drop moment. And, and that's really that's really the story of my life is that like, you know, most of my training actually happened before I began the training because I was just I grew up around my father and, you know, th that hasn't stopped. You know, I, I still have regular sessions with my father. I still sit with certain scholars and maybe one day I'll be amongst them in the next 40 years. We'll see. <laughs> maybe 45 years. <laughs> Um, that's a beautiful segue um, to um, my next question. Can you talk about the scholars and teachers that had the greatest impact on you and sort of what you learned from them? Um, not necessarily just, you know, in the classroom, but, you know, from their character, from observing them, from spending time with them. Mm -hmm. Sheikh Hamza Yusuf gave me confidence um, in being a third culture kid Western Muslim. Um, and, and that was because of his messaging. Uh, you know, and I, I, this is very controversial to say, but I'm going to say it if that's okay. It wasn't because he was white. <laughs> um, you know, the, yes, we, we are colonized and, and there's a lot of decolonial 
work that we need to do personally, intellectually, spiritually. But, you know, he, 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 in fact, he was, he was one person that I probably would want to least listen to because that wasn't my reality. Like the people that I really loved growing up were not from that community. Um, it was because he was able to synthesize our classical tradition with our modern challenge and modern thought stuff that I was learning in school. And he, and he was the most, and he was just a phenomenal teacher and speaker. And, you know, I could hear him and know he lives it. I could, I could feel it in my bones that this person is sincere through and through. Right. Uh, not a, I, I don't think there's a, there's a, an aspect of insincerity in his DNA. Um, so Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was really inspirational for me. And, um, uh, but Dr. Sherman Jackson, I think he gave me, uh, he, he showed me how all of that fits in the American context in a very real way. You know, um, I didn't really know history very well. I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know what white supremacy was. Like, I actually didn't know what, I didn't know racism until I actually moved to Cape Town, South Africa. And then I was like, oh, I see, I see what's going on. Because like that, that's just not, like everyone around me was black or Latino. <laughs> like that was my reality. And I, I didn't, and I grew up in a very culturally diverse mosque. Like everyone, so, you know, of course there was Islamophobia. I didn't connect that to white supremacy because, you know, the, the, the white kids and the black kids were both making fun of me. <laughs> for being Muslim, right? Like that wasn't something I, 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 it didn't click for me. Then, you know, in graduate school, um, you know, I, I stumbled upon Dr. Jackson before, but like really in graduate school, um, several years back is, you know, I, when I was able to study with him formally and read his books and, you know, Till, till now, I'm just like, look, anything I'm doing is just, I'm just trying to repackage <laughs> Dr. Truman Johnson's, you know, diagnosis of our community. He's, he's done the most thorough diagnosis I've ever read in my life of the American Muslim community and the Islam and the Black uh, American, his book. Um, and then, uh, you know, spiritually, Dr. Omar Fadul Khabdallah was also very formative. You know, he had a presence uh, that was um, contagious just you know uh in incredible um sheikh muhammad bin yahya and ninawi was another scholar that was very very influential and informative for me um because he was a syrian physician but also an act like a real scholar not like a physician who dabbled you know there's a lot of those right <laughs> no, he was like he was a physician that went to med school teaches at a med school but actually did like two decades of training and he grew up with a father who was a scholar. So it, it was just like kind of what I noticed in Sheikh Hamza, just like him, like, look at, look at how much these people accomplish. You know what I mean? Um, so he was very formative and subhanAllah, you know, I, I mentioned our, our, my first, one of my first teachers locally, Dr. Ali Shahata, may Allah preserve him and, 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 and protect him. And um, he was, you know, uh, uh, very formative, but one person that I realized 
was very formative later was actually the local imam of mm -hmm. our not the local the imam of the institution ICF Imam Muhammad Masri um because um he he was just so good at I just felt like he 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 gave me balance mm -hmm. he showed me you know I I I can I can disagree with you and still be calm <laughs> you know like I know it sounds really silly but like that was really that was really important for me as a very animated passionate fiery individual which is why of course Sheikh Hamza Yusuf appealed to me so much because I, I felt like I had a similar personality in that sense Imam Muhammad Masri was just always calm you know tahajjud all the time running an entire institution organized knew the context you know uh reflected my ethnic uh background um but again like I because I was young and I was looking for more of like an engagement with Western thought, I, I, I didn't really get an opportunity to hear him in, in, in terms of like an educational environment growing up. So I, I, I didn't, I see him in that capacity. Uh, I saw him more as like the leader of the Orlando or part of the Orlando um, Muslim community. And of course, you know, there are other scholars that where you know my father is number one. I mean, he's the most formative, influential person of my life, um, and my grandfather, of course. You know, to 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 grow up knowing you have a grandfather who's illiterate for actually most of his life, and then now he's doing his third PhD, and you know, help build, you know, uh, one of the most important seminaries in Syria that actually had a connection with the Black American Muslim community. One of the only seminaries if not the only seminary that actually made an agreement with Warathuddin, Imam Warathuddin Muhammad to send, you know, the uh, uh, black American Muslims that were now transitioning from the nation of Islam into mm -hmm. Sunni Islam. They were, they were all being sent to, you know, the seminary. Uh, it was Imam Zaid Shakir's first stopping, uh, 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 first is his entry point to scholarship. Right. So like, learning all that and the sacrifice that was all formative and in recent times you know i've, I've met a, a, a lot of amazing people of course i mentioned sheikh jihad brown i met him before i went overseas and, and we stayed in touch throughout and and uh so it was like a 10-year nine-year process and i met um you know uh in egypt once i was trying to find teachers to just sit with and <laughs> I, I met sheikh zuhair Qazan, who was a uh, you know, this young kind of genius, just genius, like someone from the desert, grew up in the desert, yet can talk to you about Foucault, you know, like if you just give him 10 minutes, he'll probably understand it more than you. And he'll like in context, again, that's what I was always seeking is like the people I took from, right? If they didn't, if they weren't able to uh, uh, teach me, it was like three things that were really important to me like learning in context, proper pedagogy, like the actual educational process was the methodology of disseminating that knowledge was important. And then like spiritual presence. That, that was really, really important to me. Like I, I, I couldn't, um, I, you know, I couldn't, uh, I, I, ideally you want all of that and a teacher, but 
you know, you, as you mature and grow older, you'll realize you won't always find that in a teacher. Some people are just really good. They're genius academic scholars and you should benefit from them. Others are really good at presence may not have the strongest pedagogy and you benefit from them. But, you know, if, if, if it didn't contain all three or, or at least one of them, I couldn't connect at a very deep level. Um, and yeah, so these are some, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've left a few out, but you know, I, I can email you a comprehensive list. <laughs> um, uh, just to backtrack a little bit. Um, can you talk about um, how you landed in South Africa, why you chose to go there, and um, just sort of what stood out to you about the community where you were studying there? I wanted to go to Mauritania because Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was like my hero, and I wanted to do what he did. Um, but, uh, and I was actually planning to go to Mauritania. Funny enough, I went to Hajj right after I, um, I was no longer the youth coordinator, and I wanted to study formally. Um, and I met one of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf's teachers just randomly at Hajj um, uh, through my father. And uh, he was actually a blind scholar. And he really encouraged me to come to Mauritania. So I was kind of like, I was like, I'm going to go to Mauritania. I'm going to sit in the desert. And subhanAllah, like, I, I don't know how Allah, Allah like, sometimes just, just uh, really, sometimes you could see the miracles. Sometimes they're happening, but you can't really see them. And, you know, Sheikh Ninawi, who knew my father from Damascus, he calls my father and he's like, look, we're doing a pilot program. It's like a really condensed, you know, intensive to try to do all the major sciences, including Arabic, et cetera. And, um, you know, and would, I thought of your son. I was like, I don't even know why he would think of me. I was, I, I, I was like an unknown child. But um, subhanAllah, that's, that's what happened. And I saw that as a sign. Funny enough, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. This is really embarrassing. So, you know, Americans were really bad at geography, right? Like we're horrible at geography. I, I thought I was still going to be in Africa. By Africa, I mean like Mauritania, Africa. Like I thought I was still going to the desert. Um, so I was like, all right, you know, let's do this. Bismillah. It's still Africa or that aspect of Africa. I wasn't ignorant enough to know, like to not know, obviously Africa isn't like, how it's portrayed by, uh, you know, colonialists um, or our, you know, our people here. But, you know, I, I still thought there was going to be, it's going to be that rugged kind of learning. And I, that I was, I was, it was an immaturity, but in an over romanticism of that. But again, like these were my heroes that, that did this and I, I wanted to be like them. So I was like, let's do it. It's a sign from Allah. It's a great, you know, entry point to Islamic studies. I, I get to, learn things and then go back and keep building. And then I like enter Cape Town. I was like, oh, wow. I, I didn't know this was like a Jenna. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> absolute. And, and, you know, again, it shows like how <laughs> colonized we are without knowing it. Uh, Mortain is a Jenna too, you know, in, a, in, a, in, in many ways. Um, but, you know, I didn't expect to like walk outside of the door and see a mountain. You know what I mean? Like I, that, I didn't expect that. Um, so it was, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. SubhanAllah. And, um, that was really how I ended up in Cape town. I, I didn't really know much details. Um, and I found out right before I was getting on the flight, uh, and the way things happened were, were all like just divinely, um, facilitated in really beautiful ways. Like my passport expired two days before the flight. And I didn't, I, I, 
my father was he's a he he's just incredible like he literally drove me to atlanta right the day before my flight got a new passport rushed drove me back drove me to the airport we said bismillah and you know all of these happen in, in such a beautiful way and you know i i i ended up in in cape town being exposed to what i believe is the most healthy and exemplary western muslim community in the world uh and i would say by far the, the cape town muslim community is unlike any western muslim community that exists and part of that is time they've been there for 300 years but uh, it's also principles you know that mercy is an operational principle it's not just theoretical uh spirituality is an operational reality in their institutions it's not just we don't just talk about the kid like they're doing the kid and just talk about the quran it's everyone's doing quran um so um yeah that's kind of how i ended up in cape town and you know i'm very grateful for that how did you transition back and uh, eventually you know become the imam in toledo um, like what mm -hmm. was kind of the next steps after completing that program I had no idea, honestly. I was very confused. I, I, because I, I wasn't going there for because I want to be an imam or scholar. Like I just wanted to, I, I, I wanted to be certain in my faith, and I wanted to be people like I wanted to be like Sheikh Hamza. I wanted to be like my father, and in in, in in many ways, I wanted to be like these really amazing people that I found inspiring. I wanted to be like Dr. Ali Shahata. It was one of my first teachers, but he embodied. I, that's what I was looking for. Um, so I was very confused uh, towards the end of the program because I was like, certain questions I felt were still not answered. I, I and and I that's not because the program there's something wrong with the program. It's just because I I realized I needed more, a lot more, and also like I I, I naively I know I consciously didn't believe this, but subconsciously I was like I'm gonna be a different person, and I. You know, I was still struggling with certain things, and I, I wasn't like a super Muslim yet. Um, even though I was super Muslimy while there, I, you know, like more super Muslimy than really ever. Uh, it was it was a very intense program that ensured you had discipline, spiritual and 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 process and and learning, and and studying and reviewing. But um, so I I I think the conclusion at that time because I was really confused on what the next steps were. Um, they were trying to do future years and, and, and develop a master's program and all about all this other stuff. Um, in the process, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to continue studying with Sheikh Jihad Brown and my father, because he's someone that I really connected to Sheikh Jihad because he's like, he spent 20 years in Syria or, or like 12, 13 years. I don't know how many years in Syria, like two, almost two decades overseas. Um, so he knows my ethnic reality very well. He's also a convert who understands American reality very well. And, you know, I, I resonated with that. So that was the plan. I was going to go back to America and I was going to study with him. And, and alhamdulillah, we, we did some studies. And um, what I found was that, um, you know, we haven't built institutions proper institutions around these incredible, incredible scholars of our community in America. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are actual scholars, high level, some of the best scholars on the planet, not just in America, 
that have to do regular jobs just to survive. Mm -hmm. right? This is how much we failed as a community, uh, sadly. And so I realized the institutional structures weren't ready for what I, what I felt I needed. Um, and, um, and that's just in full transparency, you know? Um, so, and, and I myself was also like, you know, do I really want to keep going, you know, and maybe I should go back to med school because I was pre-med in college, you know? So I was going through all of that. And, you know, I ended up, subhanAllah, like going overseas, back overseas. I was in Turkey wanting to do a graduate program and a seminary program there. And I met someone from Akron, Ohio, who said, hey, there's an institution called Bayan, Bayan Islamic Graduate School, and it's a master's in Islamic studies, and we'll pay for your degree, and we'll sponsor you, and you can work as the director of our masjid. And I was like, wow, my mom did not want me overseas. And to honor her, I thought this was a great, uh, you know, in-between. So I went, and I was the director of a mosque in Akron. And while doing that, I did my master's degree in Islamic studies, Went back overseas for a little bit, um, and I think after that experience, I, I didn't know I want. I, I I was almost certain I didn't want to be an imam, um, just because like the structures. I felt everyone everyone is sincere, but the structures are broken, deeply broken, and they're not conducive for applied sincerity, uh, effective sincerity in the work that we do, and I. I didn't know if I could continue doing this. So I went back overseas, uh, was studying with some teachers. Um, and subhanAllah, I get a phone call from Imam Jad Turk, who's the founder of Bayan. And he said, hey, there's a masjid in Ohio that's, you know, really interested to build around a leader. And, you know, when I spoke to this community, I wasn't really interested, but he said they're, they're going to give a really good offer. And, they're interested in like actual a leader that can help set the vision. And I was like, that was music to my ears because my struggle my whole life was just like, why are, why are physicians and engineers setting the priorities of Masajid? It didn't make any sense to me. And some of it happened by necessity, no doubt, because a lot of our imams were uh, from overseas and not all of them had any other skills, much less an understanding of their reality. So I get that, but uh, there was a lot of other stuff too, <laughs> you know, that, that we probably won't mention. So that didn't, it never made sense to me. It's just like, surely you would want people that are qualified to set the prioritize, people that like actually know what they're doing, that they've trained for this. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was, this was very appealing. I met the council, the board, and I was like, wow, these are all young born and raised here. They're like, uh, uh, they respect like religious authority. Uh, you know, they, they're listening to what I have to say. They, they want me to come with a vision. So I saw that as another, you know, maybe it was from Allah. I was like, I, I, I love this work. So I ended up taking the job and I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, I was joined by a very, very close friend of mine, you know, um, uh, I call him Sheikh because I think he's a young Sheikh, Sheikh Ismail Bowers. Um, and, you know, this is what we do. We just, we continue our studies together. He graduated from Qarawiyin. He's the, the only American graduate from the actual Qarawiyin Alam system, which is really cool because it's like, 
you know, why don't we have more Americans who graduated from the first university that has ever been built by a Muslim woman? You know what I mean? First <laughs> university period, not Muslim university. Um, so he was like the only American graduate. And we, we, we met years back when I was in Istanbul, actually trying to find a graduate seminary program. And, you know, um, we met then and we just continued a relationship and I met him a month before I was to move here to Toledo. And we were doing a Sahih Bukhari uh, reading. So we would, we, in 10 days, we just read all Sahih Bukhari with uh, Sheikh, Sheikh Yaqubi, a very big, one of, one of the biggest scholars in the world. Um, and literally the entire time, I'm just scheming. I'm like, yeah, I'm bringing you here, right? Like you just graduated. You're look for, looking for a place to work and start your career. And I, I, I want you to be by my side. So, you know, it was a huge honor and privilege for me to be working with him. We just launched a part-time seminary program that, uh, you know, I think the model is uh, certainly unprecedented in the area, uh, in the entire uh, Midwest, giving structured knowledge to uh, families, adults, and uh, we're going to create a mentorship program similar to it for young people um, and for children. Um, to give people Arabic, but also their foundational knowledge. And you understand probably why I'm so passionate about this, because again, that's my story. And that's what I see in my work. Everyone just feels so scattered in their understanding of Islam. And, and because of how scattered they are, no matter how many articles they read on controversial issues, they're going to feel that they're going to lack confidence because they don't have the, the, they don't have pillars, they don't have foundations, they don't have a framework. Right. Um, so, you know, alhamdulillah, that's kind of the, the gist of it. Thank you so much. Um, I have uh, one final question, shall we can close with this. Um, and as someone that struggled kind of in their teen years um, and that obviously works with youth a lot, um, what are sort of, um, what advice would you give um, youth about um, sort of where to look for answers and, and how to go about um, navigating all of these questions? Yeah, that's a really hard question, to be honest. Um, I just in full transparency, I don't have a good answer for that. I really don't. I've been trying really hard for the last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, when I was 19, right before I became youth director, I actually um, tried to rise to this challenge. And I created something called the Muslim Youth Survival Guide. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very successful. It was like a seminar in Orlando. but um you know now with with access to every type of information possible and um and and no filters like how do you to to learn how to filter information you have to learn from people (laughs) to know who to learn from you have to have a filter you see it's like an endless loop that's the crisis Mm -hmm. um and I, I, one thing I did is I, I, I remember I really, I put a put Facebook post of just like um, red flags of like mm. religious leadership um, because the simple answer is, you know, strong religious leadership. That, that's the simple answer. Strong communities rooted in strong and effective religious leadership. There, there is no alternative to this. Anyone who says there's an alternative to this really hasn't done enough work in the community. Um, We will never have an alternative virtually to serious real community 
and real religious leadership. Everything else is just damage control. Okay. So that's what we need. Um, to do that, we have to, I mean, it's kind of why we launched Pillars. Is like we didn't want to just give people community, the young people and families and adults, which is really important. Having people experience their faith is, is, is essential. We're not doing that at all. I mean, close to nothing like that is happening in American Islam. It's always halaqahs and lectures, 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 lectures. And, and that's not like well, people just need to sit and do dhikr together at the masjid. Like it's really that simple. Um, there has to be that, but there also has to be giving people foundations so that they can begin filtering, mm-hmm. right? And, um, but again, there's the challenge of who is qualified, right, to mm-hmm. be giving you your foundations. You know, you got, if you go online right now and you put, can I celebrate Molid? You're going to have a crisis of faith, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not like the average person has learned, hey, there are certain matters that if there is enough disagreement on them, both opinions are valid. Like that stuff takes training. And um, so my biggest advice is, number one, know yourself. Okay, know yourself. Uh, Take the knowledge of yourself seriously. Study yourself. Same way you study anything else that you need to be successful. Okay. Know your triggers. Know why you're triggered. Do the heart work. Okay. Get therapy. Get therapy young. Okay. Um, Be involved in service, meaning do activities that help you learn what is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? What triggers you? Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? Uh, all of that is important. Uh, number two, learn. You have to learn your faith. There's no shortcut to this. We don't live in an environment where you can just be raised a Muslim and be okay, right? Um, unless you have really cool parents, and I'm sure many do, right, that are learned enough to give people to give their kids a strong enough foundation such that they don't need anything else. That, that's an exceptional reality. We, that we just have, it's not like the, there's something wrong with the parents. Their parents are not supposed to be the, the scholars and the imams and the, right? Uh, it's not the parents' fault. It's just, you know, uh, it's not sustainable. Um, so you have, to, you have to commit to learning your faith before you make any drastic conclusions about your faith. That's my second advice. Commit to learning your faith before you make any conclusions about your faith or about the religion uh, or about your relationship with it. And that's why knowing yourself is really important because when you know yourself, you know, hey, this issue I have is probably informed by a particular trauma that I need to work through in therapy, not necessarily representation of the faith itself, right? And it takes a long time to, to do that trial and error process. Thirdly, um, you know, uh, have really, really good company that brings out the best in you and that helps you become the best version of yourself. Okay. And this is like crucial, crucial, crucial. Um, yes, you can have friends who are whoever, but your close people have to be people that are taking you further, 
making you better, not bringing out the worst things within you, meaning not encouraging you to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing, but also not triggering some of your worst triggers that make a healthy friendship impossible or difficult, right? Uh, and, and you shouldn't be mean, but be, be, be very wise, mean in, in the sense like you don't just cut people off, but like be very wise as to who you spend your time around, okay? And so this segues into the importance of community. Be connected, this is my fourth advice, be connected to a religious community. Okay. And I know that there's so much abuse in these communities. There's dysfunctionality. There's, I can, I can give you, I can write a book on all the challenges that we have. Right. And I'm sure a lot of us can write that same book and many books, but you know, faith does not survive in solitude. That's just the reality. Community is central to the preservation of our faith. Right. And, um, we have to take, uh, we have to be integrated into communities, involved in communities. Um, and, and lastly, I, I would say, I mean, it's related to point number three. It's like, to, to be very careful as to who you take your knowledge from, right? Uh, uh, maybe this last advice would be, don't trust the internet and don't trust YouTube and don't trust angry preachers. I'm sorry to say it so bluntly. Um, don't take your knowledge from angry people. Um, that's not, you know, don't try to justify it with yourself. Oh, they're very, no. Anger, you know, anger and egoic catharsis and that type of stuff, like, doesn't, is not, is not ideal in, in, in leadership. And you want to take your knowledge from people who have balance, okay? who the way they talk is not black and white. They honor uh, 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 the nuance because you know your nuance, right? Every, if you're a young person, you know, like life isn't black and white, right? You don't, uh, 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 things aren't that simple. Do I listen to music? Do I not listen? Do I watch this TV show? Do I watch this film? You already know there's constant, like, do I go to this party? What if it doesn't have intermingling? But what if it has intermingling for an hour? Like, life is, life is complicated, man. Life, life ain't black and white. Life is gray. And so don't ever try to, try to avoid listening to people that make it seem like Islam is this quick and easy black and white vaccine that you just, you know, you take and alhamdulillah, everything's going to be perfect and... Um, and and in, in in under the same advice, know the difference between preaching and knowledge and education. Okay, know the difference between is what going back to knowing yourself and committing to knowledge. Know the difference between I'm listening to a beautiful story about the Prophet Sallallahu that's going to inspire me, and that's necessary and needed and beautiful. That is not the same as learning formally your foundations, right? So you want to have both. You want to, you know, enjoy, uh, you know, you want to enjoy great preaching, whether online or not, as long as it's balanced, but you also want to commit yourself to formal learning about Islam, 
from qualified from qualified teachers enjoy kind of reminders but your faith is not built on spiritual reminders right your faith has to be rooted in what the prophet told us our faith has to be rooted in islam iman ihsan mind body spirit right your mind has to be healthy not just mental health but also you have to it, you, this deen this religion has to make sense and it does make sense and so whatever intellectual doubts you have you got to learn until they are gone even if it takes to the rest of your life and then you have body which is practice you can't just learn cool things you got to implement this stuff right islam iman ihsan that's what it is right you know islam is about submission it's about okay you know i got iman like i, I get it. it makes sense to me now but i gotta implement it but then don't forget ihsan that connection with allah that 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 purification of your heart from thinking you're better than someone from being envious of what they have, even though Allah gave both of you what you deserve, mm -hmm. right? Uh, living an ethical lifestyle, uh, connecting with Allah. So not just prayer, but how can I be present in my prayer? That's the maqam of ihsan, right? That's, that's, the, that's the heart. That's the spirit, spirit connection, making dhikr, uh, Islamic meditation, right? Make sure that that is... Uh, uh, how you root your faith and you, the practice of your faith and the experience of your faith. And all of it rests upon commitment to learning these things. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to, it's not going to happen overnight and it's not supposed to and it, and, and it shouldn't. Right? It's a lifelong practice. Um, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad, he says something really cool. I always love to quote this. He says, you know, we must learn to mind the gap without losing our clothes. Okay? So the Prophet ﷺ says something similar. If you take on too much of this faith, it's going to break you. It's going to overwhelm you. In other words, he's not talking about obligations. All, those we all have to do. Five prayers, that's not too much. You can all, that's what, 40 minutes a day? Come on, big deal, right? We're talking about you know, that's why I started with knowing yourself, right? You have to be merciful to yourself. You have to know, like, you are different. You are unique. Every one of you is unique. And so in the process of, you know, mind, perfecting your faith through mind, body, spirit, right? You have to keep yourself in mind. You have to keep your unique uh, uh, personality, your unique reality and circumstance in mind. So, you know, there's a gap. What is he saying? Mind the gap. Meaning as you transition, as you grow, don't lose your clothes. Don't, don't lose who you are because you don't have to do that. Anyone who tells you you have to do that, don't listen to them. Okay. Islam is not a black and white box where everyone looks the same and speaks the same and, and walks the same. Okay. Don't listen to people like this. No, Islam is a beautiful religion that accommodates the diversity of human experience. So know your human experience and grow slowly, build, okay? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not hold us account, uh, 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 will not hold us to account on the basis of our results. We're not held accountable for results. We're held accountable for effort. So it may take you 40 years to learn how to recite Quran properly. But if you passed away, 
at year two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, will reward you for 40 years because you made a lifelong commitment. I'm going to keep going no matter what. And I think that that is one of the most important things that young people have to learn in an age where you are taught everything has to come quickly, you know, one year, two year, three year. I got a, you know, I got a timeline, you know, hashtag goals and, you know, no, right. You know, you have, you should have high aspirations, have high, high aspirations, but also build slowly so that you are not overwhelmed and learn who you are as you do all of this. Um, so that you, you know, you, 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 you are, uh, properly healing in the process and growing in all aspects of your life. Remember mind, body, spirit, not just your physically, not just mentally, but emotionally and spiritually as well. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and um, all of your advice. Wonderful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Alhamdulillah. I, 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 I had a great time. May Allah uh, bless you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And may Allah reward you for, you know, bringing beautiful stories um, to people. And um, I pray that whoever's listening forgives me for anything I may have said that may have uh, triggered you or offended you or um, upset you in any way. It was not my intention. And um, may Allah uh, uh, give you all what, what you hope and desire. And just like you, Hiba, inshallah, you get everything that you, you dream of and uh, in, in the most balanced way possible that Allah decrees. Thank you. Take care. Inshallah. Inshallah.